You're listening to Oh No Law Class. 100% RJ all the time. Hello, future jurist, and welcome to Oh No Law Class. I'm the Chief Justice of your thoughts and hearts, Mr. R.J. Esquire. On today's docket, we have the groundwork for what will become an ongoing project into, and I quote my favorite judge here, Judge Dredd, the law. Today, we'll discuss the Supreme Court, what it is, how it came to be, and over the first few episodes of our journey, we will likely focus on important early cases and personalities that help shape the court into what we know today. Now, for those of you who are fans of other Ono brands of mental stimulation, like Ono Lit Class or Study Breaks, well, you may notice a voice is missing. The cat. The cat is not allowed on this show. He's been disbarred in all 50 states. Additionally, Meg's voice will be missing as well. You're welcome, America. You finally get the 100% all RJ, all the time content you've been craving. For those of you who are new to this whole oh no family of shows, let me catch you up. I'm RJ. I'm a studier and practitioner of law. I have a loyal cult following due to my astute and never failing financial advice. And I don't take too much all that seriously. That includes this show. If you want hard-hitting, data-driven, NPR voice analysis, you won't get it here. Instead, what you will get here is opinions, like Antonin Scalia really dropped the ball when he called someone's argument gobbledygook, instead of balderdash, flummery, or poppycock, because he really could have cornered the market on old white man insipid rage if he had. We will also laugh at court cases like schmuck versus the United States. Who won? One schmuck or the country full of them? Stay tuned, and you may, in fact, one day find out. Also, at the end of this episode, I will let you know how you can take part in the proceedings and have your voice heard by me, the arbiter aboard this spaceship law. Now, please keep your arms and legs inside the moving vehicle at all times, because we're about to blast off. Dateline 1787, Philadelphia. The U.S. Constitution is created and signed. If you haven't read the damn thing, read it. It's only about 4,500 words, including the signatures. So, Article 1 is about the legislator, the people who make law. Article 2 covers the executive, the people who enforce the law. Article 3 covers the judicial branch, a.k.a. the courts. The Constitution only has 379 words under Article 3. That's it. That is the rule book for courts. 379 words. That doesn't sound like a lot, right? It really isn't. All the Constitution says about the judicial branch is basically this. First and foremost, and I quote, The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court, and in such inferior courts as the Congress may, from time to time, ordain and establish. Basically, at the minimum, there is one federal court, the Supreme Court. And if there are more federal courts, well, that's up to to Congress to sort out. Judges on these courts can serve as long as they're on good behavior. They're paid for it and their pay can never diminish. Article 3 further explains that the jurisdiction of these courts extend to the following kinds of cases. Cases in law and equity arising under the Constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made, 
or which shall be made under their authority. So basically cases where U.S. federal law is at issue. To all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. To controversies to which the United States shall be a party, meaning the United States is a named party on the case. To all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, and councils, and those in which a state shall be a party. And then, to paraphrase a bit, all cases in which states or people from each state are suing another state or citizens in another state. Basically, whenever people are reaching across state lines. Because, and this is important to realize, Article 3 and the Constitution are focused on federal courts, not state courts. State courts are a separate entity governed in a different way, and this will be something we explore in the future. The last part of Article 3 helps define treason and the punishment for it. That's it. That's all the rulebook says about federal courts, including the Supreme Court, how many there are, pay for judges, and the kinds of cases they can oversee. This left a lot to be decided on by Congress later. Lots of gaps to fill, and boy oh boy, have things been changed by Congress. The only other important thing Article 3 tells us is that generally the Supreme Court is an appellate court, that it can only hear appeals, except for cases that affect ambassadors, other public ministers, and councils, and those in which a state shall be party. To those cases, and those cases only, the Supreme Court has what we call original jurisdiction. Basically, you can go directly to the Supreme Court, PASCO, and get $200, but only in those instances. Because those instances will generally affect the top of the pyramid, and so you get to go right to the top. Otherwise, you have to start at the bottom. This makes sense on the surface after all. You would not want to solely the reputation of an ambassador or minister or a state by making them to necessarily go to some inferior court first. No, no, no. Right to the top for them. So, you might be thinking, it doesn't sound like the Constitution and and its creators were all that interested in the judicial branch. Kind of left it blank to be filled in. Just to give you one metric, Article 1, the article dealing with Congress, is seven times longer than Article 3. So yeah, hard to counter the argument that the Constitutional Congress really wasn't all that interested in the federal court system. Two years later, in 1789, the Constitution took effect, and America as we know it, with all its rules, became the law of the land. That same year, Congress passed the Judiciary Act of 1789, The act required that six justices be placed on the bench of the Supreme Court, and it also created 13 judicial districts and placed one district court in each judicial district. What the act did not do is create judgeships assigned to those newfound courts. Instead, this is where you really begin to realize the way the Supreme Court and federal judges in general were looked down upon. Instead, the act prescribed what became known as circuit writing. Judges, Supreme Court justices... And the few other federal judges were required to ride on horseback between these different courts and hear cases throughout the year. So these courts were not hearing cases every day. You literally needed to wait for your day in court because, well, your judge may be in a different state, in a different court, or riding on horseback in who knows what backwoods area. Let me summarize what judges thought of this practice. <clears throat> they hated it. Can you imagine riding on horseback from the northeast down to Georgia in the days before railroads or hell, any kinds of roads, to hear cases and then making the return trip and then doing it again and again and again? 
Can you imagine Notorious RBG riding it out to Old Town Road, riding between DC and San Fran? Bitch is tough. Bitch be that tough? I don't know, fam. The first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, refused a second appointment to the Supreme Court because he didn't want to deal with the riding anymore. Some justices fell off their horses and broke bones. Other justices were faced with near floods and other hazardous weather conditions. And sometimes, real danger was to friends or enemies the judges made along the way. Justice Stephen J. Field was physically accosted by a party in a lawsuit he was overhearing at the time. You know, security not being a thing at all back then, let alone out there on the open road. Even when the justices were quote-unquote at home, and I use that term loosely, they did not really have a home. The Supreme Court building we think of today was not built until 1935. The first few years of the Supreme Court actually took place in New York. The first session of the Supreme Court was held in the Royal Exchange Building. The building was built in 1675 and was demolished shortly after the Supreme Court moved out of there. So, that gives you a feel of the ambiance. Historic. Decrepit. Yep, what the founders thought of them. Before the Civil War, the Supreme Court meeting place bounced around. It was even held in windowless buildings and rooms sometimes. Lovely. And so there you have it. The magical beginnings of a court without a home. A court without much power. Or so it seemed. A court that was maybe not an afterthought, but not exactly thought of as a bastion of power. At least, not initially. We'll see, though, very quickly just how all that was going to change under the stewardship of John Jay and his motley crew of justices as they battle Marbury versus Madison next time on Oh No Law Class. Before we leave, I mentioned earlier that if you want to get involved in the show, there is a way to do just that. Oh No Law Class has an email. Pretty tricky. Oh No Law Class at gmail.com. All one word. Got a question? Got a case you want covered? Got saucy pictures of your favorite Supreme Court justice? Send them my way. I also accept tips, praise, and general fanfare. Until next time, I'm Mr. RJ Esquire, ESQ, the man with the biggest plan. Court adjourned. Basically, at the minimum, there is one federal court. Megan, your cat!